0: Welcome, everybody, to KickServeRadio.com, Tennis on Air with Andy Zoden. I'm really excited to be joined by one of the most revered and respected tennis journalists in the business. He is my dear friend, Joel Drucker. And, Joel, let me start with this. If somebody would have told you at the end of 2016 that at the end of Q1 of 2017 that Roger Federer would single-handedly be carrying the sport of tennis, what would your response have been?
1: Well, I don't know if he was ever single-handedly carrying the sport of tennis, but certainly that he'd be the major story in winning these big titles, that would have been surprising that he would won both these titles in Australian Open and Indian Wells. That's pretty amazing.
0: And with that being said, you obviously watch the sport as closely as anybody. What is it that you're seeing in Federer's game? There are those that are saying, based on what they saw against Rafael Nadal, in particular in this last Indian Wells matchup where he was able to take out Rafa in an hour and eight minutes, that we're seeing things from Roger that are improved beyond what we've ever seen from him before. What are you seeing in his game in particular?
1: Well, how do we take a guy who we always thought had everything, and now he has even more? It's just amazing, Andy. As I see it, Federer, obviously, he's hitting his backhand. He's going after his backhand. He's driving it more. It's working, so that's helpful. Uh, he's not giving Nadal the chance to get the ball up high to his backhand, which was the weakness before. That's bringing a lot of buoyancy, a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of passion. I think Federer made a pretty clear commitment to how he wants to play that shot against Nadal. He's abandoning the slice, which doesn't mean the slice is a bad shot. It's just hadn't worked for him against the Adele. So we thought he'd go after this one. And I think he's just letting himself enjoy the act of playing. And I think having that time off, let him recover, let him practice some more, let him work on his technique. So uh, a lot of good things. Most of all, his backhand's better.
0: Two players, Joel whose commitments to the sport have been in question over the last few years, who seem to have really both raised the level of their image and perception that I think tennis fans are really enjoying and I certainly enjoyed watching these guys at Indian Wells and those were Nick Kyrgios and Jack Sock. Talk about what you're seeing out of those two and what you think they mean to the men's game right now.
1: Well, I think I have kind of looked them a little differently. To me, I see Nick Kyrgios as a skilled, potential top five Grand Slam champion kind of player. I don't particularly like his behavior at times, but I'll tell you he is a must-watch player. And to watch him play and to see the things he can do with the ball, he's the athlete and shot maker that people often think Gary Montpice is. But it's Kyrgios who's got the stuff. He's got the live arm. He's got the big forehand. He's willing to try shots. He's willing to do different things. I think he's fantastic, and I want to see more of what can come from him. Sock, I don't think, is uh, nearly as skilled or as versatile or as athletic as Kyrgios. He's an excellent player, and he's taken some big strides this year to win two tournaments. Very impressive run to the semis of Indian Wells. I'll be curious to see how things go for Sock. Does he sustain that? I often feel with him that he's kind of teetering, like this whole mix of efficiency and fitness and emotion. It's kind of his whole stewing pots, but he puts th- some things together quite well at well, so I'm going to be curious to see how it goes for him as he plays longer matches on clay, three out of five set matches of the majors. Never a never a significant result at a Grand Slam tournament for Sock. It's going to be interesting to see how things shake out for him.
0: By their standards, Joel, Andy Murray and Novak Djokovic are both off to somewhat disappointing starts in 2017. How concerned should fans of theirs be as the balance of 2017 continues on, particularly in lieu of the fact that both of them had to drop out of the Miami tournament with cited elbow injuries?
1: I think if you're into Murray, if Murray's a cup of tea, I think this is just him recovering from a very hard, 2016 that saw him eventually finish the year number one in the world a lot of hard work a lot of emotion the olympics and wimbledon a lot of things that took a lot out of him i'm less worried about murray and him finding his game which may or may not even happen during the clay court season but over the course of 2017 i see him finding his way novak's in a little different phase i'm not quite sure what's going on with him and we're all curious to see what's Happening with him, why he's lost some of that edge he had a year ago, his focus, his, uh, his spirit, his, the bounce. He just seems a little, uh, a little more off it, but, uh, I, I get, we're, we'll see. And I think Novak, though, has a, has a strong chance of finding it back in the clay court season.
0: I want to chat a little bit about some of the things that you have going on personally. Let's talk real quickly, though, about the women's game, in particular, Venus Williams. How heartened are you, Joel, to see Venus doing what she's doing? Everybody talks about Serena doing what she's doing at 35, and certainly it's an amazing accomplishment to win major championship number 23. But Venus is is really kind of outkicking her coverage, if you will, in 2017 so far. How happy does that make you?
1: Oh, it's very nice to see Venus Williams playing while well, she's been at tennis for a long time, more than 20 years. I saw her the first week she turned pro when she was 14 and played in the town I live in, Oakland, and saw that debut. And now we've seen someone 23 years later still going at it, still enjoying her tennis perhaps more than ever, and feeling good. She had some health issues when she was diagnosed with Sjogren's Syndrome in 2011, and I think she's figured out ways to manage that, to manage her energy and manage her tennis. Very impressive
0: KickServeRadio.com is brought to you by RacketStar.com, Racket Sports Social Marketplace. I'm joined by famed tennis journalist, Joel Drucker. And Joel, you've recently released your most recent manuscript, a story that will really bring a tear to your eye. It it is Don't Bet On It, which is the story of the 28-year relationship uh, between you and your Love of Your Life, Joan Edwards, and it's a beautiful tribute. Talk about everything that went into that and how much emotion uh, you were able to bring to the surface in in writing that. It's a beautiful tribute.
1: Well, thank you, Yeah, This is a book about my late wife, Joan Edwards, who died in 2010, and she had a disease called lupus the entire time we were together. And uh, soon after she died, I gave a talk to a lupus support group about kind of the texture and flavor of our relationship and a lot of it had to do with the connected language and humor we shared and from that talk grew my idea to say hey maybe I can write something longer about this I spent many hours over the last five, six years really refining this story and telling it a lot of emotion I mean there's a great deal of emotion in this book and and ways that I um, approach the writing and tennis has its role in it and also I think uh, I kind of pride myself there's kind of often this uh I try to be straightforward, but there's this juxtaposition in my work, just like in my tennis, between um, I'm not deceitful, but I'm deceptive. And so there's an aspect of this book that's kind of deceptively in your face, kindly, but forceful, forward-moving, like a little bit like how I like to play
0: tennis. I find great irony, Joel, in the fact that you originally were known for having written the book Jimmy Connor Saved My Life. In reality. Joan Edwards arguably saved your life and you are probably now based on the postings that we see on social media and now in the release of this book that you're you're a better husband now with a wife that has passed than many of us will ever be while we are still with our wives I mean talk about how you are able to continue to stay connected and draw strength from that relationship even in the state that it is now.
1: That's really a great question Andy. I think the uh the challenge is seeing, I don't know, how do we, how do you move forward? I mean, my wife died uh, six years ago and walking the world and connecting with people and trying to accept who people are and what they, um, what they bring and what they don't bring and, and connecting with people through things. Um, it's not easy. I mean, it, it's not easy it's not, and, and a lot of loneliness and, uh, wondering how to move forward and what the connections are and feeling like a significant part of me has been amputated, not easy.
0: I will tell you this, Joel, and I think I speak for for many of us that have gotten to know you well or gotten to know you even on the level that, that, that I have, which is that we all draw a lot of inspiration from watching the way you have conducted yourself and the way you continue to put your wife on a pedestal and keep her there and pay tribute to her. It really is a beautiful thing to watch, and it really is very inspirational to the rest of us. And I I really do hope that you understand how important it is for for the tennis world to see that and to use that as an example.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that.
0: And then I want to I want to shift gears to a slightly lighter topic if that's all right. You you sort of took uh, for those of you that didn't see it, they came out with a video. It was Roger Federer, Tommy Haas, and Grigor Dimitrov of sort of doing this uh, this this boy band version of uh, it's hard to say. I'm sorry, as it was at the 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 Chicago song, and you sort of took this analytical view of taking the 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 terminology and the and the lyrics from that song and applying it to how these guys have sort of interacted. both on and off the court with one another, it was kind of an interesting, uh, an interesting little play on your part.
1: It, it absolutely is. Well, I think I was taught that there's always a meaning behind a thing, and every song tells a story. And I, I took a look at the song that's called um, "Hard to Say I'm Sorry" and and just explored some of the lyrics. I think uh, uh, maybe Eddie, why don't you uh, why don't you sing the opening lyrics of the song and we can um, start with the analysis that
0: way. Oh, you can't be serious, man. Oh boy. <clears throat> okay, ready. Everybody needs a little time away.
1: So there you go. That has to do, obviously, with Federer uh, being away from the tour, as we all know. And then it talks about him being far away, which is uh, the distance between him and the tour. And there's a series of other things we address in the story, such as uh, Hard for Me to Say I'm Sorry, which has to do with Federer and Haas. And I, I notice if you watch the video, you see Dimitrov. It's not, it's not, he's not quite in it. He's a little younger than those guys. I think this is really a, a dialogue, a hitting session, as it were, between Federer and Haas. Very interesting. Um, uh, it's interesting to note that, uh, they say in the lyric, one of the lyrics is, after all we've been through, and Federer and Haas, they played each other 16 times, that's a lot. The, the album the song was on was called Chicago 16. I just enjoy exploring these, these connections between things. Uh, at the, uh, one of the lyrics goes, uh, I will make it up to you, I promise to. This was Tommy Haas' first year running the tournament at Indian Wells. And what
0: does Federer do, Andy? He goes out and wins it, and he wins it impressively.
1: I promise to. So that's very nice. I, I just enjoy it. I, I think we should look for these things. I'm curious, uh, Andy, do you think, uh, think these guys are going to find some other songs, or what do you think is going to happen with this band?
0: I don't know. I mean, obviously, the, the, the one-handed backhand boys, obviously some sort of mutant version of the Backstreet Boys is all I can think of. I think that the Backstreet Boys' jobs are safe. Uh, that being said, I think that the, the, the one-handed, you know, backhand boys' jobs are safe as long as they keep it between the lines. But I'll tell you what, it, it, as long as you keep bringing the Joel Drucker sort of quirky perspective on these types of, uh, outside the line endeavors by these players, tennis fans are going to continue to enjoy them. So, so thanks for that.
1: You're welcome. It's fun. It's fun to explore these things. And, you know, there's always
0: interesting things going on in the tennis. Well, it's always interesting to be able to read your take on these things. For those, uh, that don't follow Joel, you, uh, you write for tennischannel.com and you've got something on there. Just, is, is it pretty much weekly, Joel? Daily. Daily, my friend. Oh, you got something on there every single day. Wow. The hardest working man in tennis.
1: No, that's you, Andy. <laughs>
0: Joel, it is always great to catch up with you. That's one of the reasons I always look forward to going out to Indian Wells is to get caught up. Thanks so much for uh, for spending some time with Kickserveradio.com, and best of luck with the book. It really is a beautiful piece, and as you termed it, it's sort of a uh, tennis's version of The Way We Were, which is, and I don't have to go very far to explain uh, how touching that film was, and uh, and it really is a beautiful tribute, so congratulations on a, on a nice piece of work.
1: Thank you, Andy. Enjoyed being on your show.
0: This is Andy Zoden. You're listening to Kickserveradio.com radio.com and of course we have been joined by the one and only Joel Drucker look forward to catching up with you guys on the courts real soon
1: sorry I just want you to stay after all that we've been through I will make it up to you